What's up, everyone? Welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast with J.J. Jerez. That's me. And, of course, Arif Dean. Uh, you know, we're feeling good. Got a lot of hockey to talk about, a lot of Avs hockey to talk about. A lot of goals to talk about. Yeah, not, we're not, but we're not feeling good as the New York Rangers are right now, are they? Are we? I mean, the Avalanche went out and put up an eight bomb on the Anaheim Ducks yesterday. And I'm like, that's great. Cool. And the Rangers came out and put up a nine bomb in the first two periods and are have not let in a goal and are doing it with their AHL coaching staff and some guy named Chris Drury sitting behind the bench. Yeah, crazy stuff. I mean, but that's just all, all you know, speaking to the craziness of this season and the unpredictability that we've seen left and right. I mean, you know, New Jersey seems to dominate Boston on a regular basis. Yeah. So that's the year we're having. Yeah. And it's it's funny that we're talking about this and we're even talking about this right now. But screw it, let's let's go with it because we are. But how nervous would it make any head coach in the NHL if you get put on the COVID protocol list? Your AHL coach gets called up, and the team scores and responds by scoring nine goals in the first two periods. And it's it's their AHL coach, their AHL assistant coach, and their assistant GM who who is Chris Drury. And, and David Quinn is sitting in a protocol, on COVID protocol, locked in a hotel room somewhere going, my job's in jeopardy. Yeah, I don't think you're crazy. And you know, I think this is, might be a season where we see a lot of head coaches fall. You know, we saw Kruger just the other day with Buffalo. Uh, you know, we've already seen, who was the other one that got fired recently? Uh, Montreal. Uh, Claude, Claude Julien. Claude Julien. Yeah. Um, so yeah, who know, I, I think there'll still be a couple dominoes to fall on that regard. But let's stick to the avalanche here. We're, stu- we're here to talk abs hockey, so... Avs hockey, we shall talk. Um, like you said, they scored a lot of goals against Anaheim, which was such a relief to see considering we've seen a long stretch of them not being able to surpass that three-goal threshold. So good to see them still have those uh, goal-scoring capabilities, and you know, hopefully they continue that. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was coming from everywhere, and that's the thing about the Anaheim game yesterday. So we're going to get to, you know, we're going to address the elephant in the room being the Hunter Miska goalie situation in a moment, but let's start with a little bit of positivity. And it's the fact that from the opening faceoff, the Avalanche were buzzing. Offensively, they were ready to go. From the first drop of the puck, they were generating offense. It was coming from all four lines. Nathan McKinnon looked good per usual. Kadri, Burakovsky, and Saad continued to do what they do. Uh, that Jost line, with Nichushkin and Donskoy is suddenly becoming one of my favorite lines where, you know, JT Comfer's coming back. How do you split those three up? Who do you sit? Do you sit Logan O'Connor, Pierre-Edward Belmar, and you're going to have JT Comfer on your fourth line because those three just look so well together. So there's a lot of good things going for the Avalanche, and we saw they were scoring at will in the first period even before all the Miska goals. And then as the game went on, Nathan McKinnon scored that beautiful shot on the power play. They were crashing the net. There was that puck that was sitting behind Ryan Miller and Burakovsky crashed the net uh, and made sure that he tapped that one in. Or And, uh, you know, finally Burakovsky scored a dirty goal and not a beautiful shot for a goal. Kadri had two goals, two assists. Everything was working. Sam Gerrard got on the board again. Devon Taves had some assists on that McKinnon power play goal. They look great. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where... We've been saying all season, trust the process, but it's been trust the process of, of trying to get to a point where you're playing consistent hockey. Well, now it's changed. The conversation has shifted because the Avalanche have been playing consistent hockey lately. They look damn good. They're on a four-game winning streak, but they just weren't finishing their chances. They were getting opportunities. They were getting shots, but they were unable to score goals and... There was nothing that you can change if you're the head coach. Keep doing what you're doing. Trust that process. And it finally paid off. And now they're a good team on a four-game winning streak with a really good goalie in Philip Grubauer ready to take on the Minnesota Wild. And it could be coincidence. It could not be. But you can't disregard the fact that, like you said, they're really only a JT confer away from having their entire lineup back, right? And For it, the forwards, yeah. Not, yeah, from the forward group. Of course, there's still three out of the six defensemen missing. But, you know, from the forward group, that I think that says that speaks volumes right there, right? You're getting healthier. Yeah. And, I, you know, you hate to make excuses. Hockey's such a fickle sport. You sh- you'd expect that once that first line was back, they'd... they'd start acting like a first line but just having the whole unit together seems to be good for this team and yeah I mean you can't help but feel good what you saw last night and in the the few games before it they're on a win yeah. streak so they're they're on a nice winning streak here and they're looking really well but I I will say what the injuries did for the avalanche was it got the players that weren't playing well to really break out of their shell 
and that was your Tyson Joes, who he's still not providing, you know, much offense, but he's doing pretty much everything else. And and like we said a few episodes again, Tyson saved his Avalanche career, not NHL career, but his time with the Avalanche by learning how to be a penalty killer after that trade for Nemesnikov last year. He's starting to play really well. Nichushkin over the last five, six games has been a revelation. And then with Donskoy, who's kind of been consistent all season and is starting to heat up again, now you have this great third line. You have your hell of a second line, Saad, Kadri, Burakovsky. What have I been saying for the last two months? The top six hasn't all been going at the same time. Well, now they are. Rantanen, Landeskog, McKinnon, they're all going. The fourth line looks great. Logan O'Connor's getting a lot of ice time because of these injuries, and now it's at a point where you, ha- you have a good problem, and that's we have 13 forwards, and we don't know which one to sit, assuming Comfort gets back next game or whenever he's back. So, you know, Pierre-Edbard Belmar has only got two goals on the year, and they're both empty netters, but he's still a penalty killer. He's still a leader. He does all the little things right. And then you have Matt Calvert, who offensively hasn't been where he's been in the past, but he's still doing his Matt Calvert thing. He's a presence on the ice every single time, and it's going to come for him just like everybody else. Trust that process and wait for it to happen. And and I think the injuries were what gave the Avalanche the ability to let guys like Brandon Saad and guys like uh, Valerie Nichushkin and even on the blue line, guys like Ryan Graves to take on a bigger role and basically put up or shut up, and now they've put up. Players are getting healthy, and they're all going at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I I look at Binko Rantanen, right? You look at that goal he scored off of Ryan Miller's back, and yeah, it, it's it's partially luck, but partially just doing the right thing because that whole that whole sequence was a hardworking sequence, and you're seeing them get back to the hard work, and you're seeing all the right things happen. Like I said, you'd like to see them keep continuing to score more than three goals each game, um, but you know, four four wins in a row and. I think they're what six one and one in their last eight games. So you know, yeah, it's, something like that. It's tough to complain about what's and, going on. And don't forget, this wasn't you know two goals, two goals, and then an eight goal explosion. They had that four goal game on Sunday when all of us were snowed in. No media really showed up to the game, but they had that four goal game. And I don't know if you caught the Miko Ranton and post gamer yesterday, where somebody asked him because he did the same thing against LA. He scored from behind the net on Sunday, and then he scored from behind the goal line again today or on Tuesday. And uh, he was asked, I believe, by Peter Baugh if he was trying to do that. And he said, yeah, to be honest with you, yes, both times that's what I was trying to do. So you do need a little bit of luck to score those goals. But this dude, he scored both those goals knowing exactly what he was trying to do. There was no puck luck there. It was all skill. And and those are the kind of goals you want to see. They're not always going to be pretty, even if you are renting. And like I said earlier, Andre Burakovsky, but those are the goals that are going to win you games, and those are what are going to separate the good teams from the great teams. Just amazing awareness, but we can't also, you know, we can't ignore the fact how many posts I feel like they've hit in the last couple of games Me, too, right? Nathan McKinnon himself. There was a point, uh, really quickly before I get to the McKinnon thing, Rantanen's got 14 goals and 30 points in 27 games. So shout out to him. That's a 90-point pace. Uh, he looks awesome. Nathan McKinnon yesterday through the first, and, and I hate to say this, the way I, I I hate to type this the way I do because I don't like to kick a man when he's down. But through the first seven minutes of the game yesterday, when that first commercial break hit at thirteen oh five of the first period, Nathan McKinnon had already hit the post more times than Hunter Miska had stopped the puck. That was my tweet. It was it was my highlight of my night. Was that tweet? It got a lot of <laughs> a lot of likes, a lot of comments. Shout out to all my listeners and followers. But Nathan McKinnon hit the post twice in the first six fifty five. The Ducks had three goals and, and the Ducks had three shots and scored on two of them. Miska had one save. So I was really glad to see McKinnon not only score yesterday, but it wasn't an empty netter like he had the previous two games. It was a very crucial power play goal. It was a nice one timer from the circle to start the third period to give the Avalanche a five to four lead. And that was great to see him break out of that shell because they need him to. And uh, I think it's it's it speaks a lot to Miko Ranton in passing up those two empty net goals for him in the past two games to give McKinnon two freebies to break him out of that goal scoring slump. And now suddenly he's got goals in three straight games and, and he's he's doing Nathan McKinnon things. Absolutely. That one time or something we hadn't seen in a while too. So yeah. it was good for him. To, it, was, it was nice to see that to again. To bury one for sure. Um, but let's continue to kick the man while he's down since you already brought it up. You know, I think that's really the the hot topic surrounding the avalanche right now. I mean, if you were on Twitter during the game last night, people really weren't talking about the game. They were just ripping Hunter Miska. Now, I remember back in January on this very podcast mm-hmm. saying he's not an adequate NHL goalie. He's never going to be. He just doesn't have it. And most of all, it's between the ears. Bet you wish we had Jimmy Howard now. 
Right. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing. Is I know there's a desire to bring in the right guy, and there's some sort of hesitation going on with Joe Sackick to bring in a backup, but at this point, anybody is a bring better Bring in a option. guy. A, Just any, a guy. Anybody. A guy right now would be better than what they have in Hunter Miska. Hunter Miska cannot go on. He cannot go on. You cannot keep playing somebody who is just not fit for the pro game. There's this issue that I've noticed with him, and I'm not the goalie guru you are, so give me a pat on the back virtually through the Skype thing if, if, I, if I break this down properly. But usually a goalie that's attacking a player's shot and really you know wants to cover a lot of the net, he does exactly that. He makes himself look big. If you notice the Miska goals yesterday, he freezes up and kind of contracts, and his body gets really close together, and a shot above here, a shot past the blocker. They were just shots that you should have saved. They were kind of like he was always off by an inch or off by like a, a, a foot. And it's kind of one of those things where if you make yourself big and do that confidence thing, like you said, it's between the ears. If you do that confidence thing, you'll stop those shots. And he just wasn't able to do it to the point where when Anaheim got that penalty shot, which is not his fault. You know, the Avalanche gave up two breakaways on on a on a shorthanded uh, opportunity to Anaheim, and they ended up getting a penalty shot. I had my tweet written out that Derek Grant scores before he started the penalty shot. Yeah, you knew he was, which is sad. You knew he was going to do it. And with penalty shots, I feel like a majority of even, them miss. They're not even a 50-50. Goalies right. save a majority of them. <laughs> and Derek Grant came in. He didn't try to dipsy doodle. He didn't do anything. He came in and shot the puck, and it went right through the goaltender like the first three goals did. So I hate to kick a man when he's down. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of things to look at when it comes to uh, a player's time in the NHL. For somebody like Hunter Miska, look, I understand for him, he's probably sitting on the bench yesterday thinking, I ruined my chance to be an NHL goalie. Um, I don't think he had much of a chance before this. It was luck and the luck of the draw of Pavel France, who's being hurt for this long and the Avalanche not having much to bring in otherwise. Um, but for somebody like him, hey, he got to collect an NHL paycheck for this long already. That's great. He's going to go to the AHL. He's looked good in the AHL in the past. He's looked good at college in the past. He's a good goalie. He's not an NHL goalie. And 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 that's just the reality of the situation. So, you know, it's as 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 hard as it is to kick a man down, it's a little bit easier this year as jerky as this sounds because I'm not in the locker rooms and I I don't really know Hunter. I don't know him. I've never met him in person. Um, so I don't know him as well as if this was a player that had been around for a few years where you've built that relationship. Someone like Ian Cole, before he got traded, talking about him was a little bit harder because he's such a cool guy. You've built that relationship with him. Yeah. Calvin Pickard, I, don't, I think, yeah, is one you Calvin can really Pickard, draw a yeah. comparison to. You know, I think when he was here, you thought, you know, yeah, he's he was doing well when he was here, if you remember. I mean, there, I, I remember being on a radio show and arguing with the radio host that they should have protected Pickard rather than Varley during that yeah. um, expansion draft. And then you saw yeah. Pickard leave Colorado and he was kind of exposed for the goalie he is, which, yeah. you know, you kind of hate to bash on because you loved him and you built a relationship with him. But I get your point 100% with Miska. And you're also spot on in that assessment. I mean, you know, I said this back in January. I'll say it again. He's a good goalie. He doesn't get this far by not being a good goalie. I just think yeah. he's so far in his head. And what you're seeing, your breakdown, He's thinking too hard about what the shooter's going to do rather than this, just trusting his reactions and trusting the game he's played his whole life, right? I think that Troy Terry goal, you can pinpoint exactly what I'm saying. He drops down so early when Ter Troy Terry wasn't even ready for a shot. He, Hunter Miska was just so jumpy and antsy that he just dropped down to his knees so scared of getting scored on that it was just an easy transition to his backhand and then roof while Hunter Miska's laying on his slide flailing trying to do some sort of Dominic Hasek type save so I, I and I think that's a hundred percent mental and yeah he's it, he's not overcoming that hurdle he, so far he doesn't have the confidence to be an NHL goalie uh he freezes up when when the pressure is on we weren't expecting much from him anyway we just wanted him to be a guy a Michael Hutchinson, a Calvin Pickard, a Jimmy Howard, a Craig Anderson, and he wasn't able to provide that. And we keep speaking in 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 terms like wasn't and and things like that as if he's gone and he's been sent down, but he hasn't. The Avalanche don't have a goal yet, but we know at this point, and I wrote about it last night, that Joe Sakic is searching the market for a goalie right now, 
And that's just the reality. Pierre Lebrun talked about it on TSN. Elliot Friedman talked about it on Sportsnet. And it's obvious just from talking to Jared Bednar. So you have to always read between the lines when you talk to Jared because he is one of the nicest humans. He's not a John Tortorella. He's not going to put you on the spot. He's We're blessed to have a coach like him because mm-hmm. I've asked stupid questions before and he humors me. He doesn't tell me to F off. And the reality is when you ask him – Mike Chambers had a great question yesterday, and and a lot of people were ripping him for this. Uh, a lot of people on social media, other media members loved it. So if you were one of those people that were ripping him, just know that as media, we thought that it was a great question where he said, Jared, at what point do you come to the realization that Hunter Miska just isn't an NHL goalie? He's not cut out for this. So what what problem did people have with that question? Uh, I My brother sent me a bunch of screenshots from Reddit of people just calling him a, a jerk and, and how dare you be so it's how dare you be so straightforward or what? whatever it was. I, I don't know. It was weird. And uh, people were bashing Mike for just being a jerk or something. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, do you want media to not do their job? Because the, the job is what it is. And, and what it is is calling out somebody who's not capable of, again, going back to Ian Cole, you and I talked about it. You even made a joke saying, I think he shaved because he wanted to get away with the beard and just really make it feel noticed that he knows that his job is in jeopardy. And then literally like three days later, he was shipped out for some guy named Greg Patteron that isn't really good. It was a cap dump. So how do you think he feels about that? So it's 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 doing your job. So people had an issue with that question. But anyway, Jared Bednar's response to that, you have to read between the lines. He said something along the lines of, well, first he said like we hung him out to dry, which we they did for the fourth goal, but not the first three. You got to save those. Um, I, I think the funniest thing is people always like, when a goal is scored, it's always like, well, if this guy didn't give up the puck or this guy didn't, it's like, well, that's why the goalie's there. He's there to stop the puck when the other team gets a shot. You can always rewind back on a play and see the point where your team gave up the puck and their team got the puck in order to score. So you can always blame a goal on somebody other than the goalie. But the first three goals should have been stopped. And kudos to him for stopping the breakaway before the the penalty shot. But Jared said, my job is to play and evaluate the players we have. So basically what he's saying is, do I think that Hunter Miska is uh, is not an NHL goalie? Why are you asking me? Go ask the guy that makes the trades. Not that he's putting Joe Sackick on the, on, on the spot, but you're Jared Bednar. Pavel Fransuz is injured. Adam Werner hasn't played much, so they sent him to the AHL to play games. You signed some guy named Peyton Jones. Who I love. You have what you Who have. I love. Yeah, exactly. Who, you know, that's a guy that you should probably try now because trying Hunter Miska, if you can't acquire somebody before the next time you need a second string goalie to play, try Jones or Werner. But what Jared said was exactly spot on. It's, I have what I have. I have to make a decision. They needed to give Grubauer a night off, which is true because you got two games coming against Minnesota. This is just the Anaheim Ducks. Let's give him the night off, which he didn't end up getting, obviously. But... Basically, what he's saying is, this is all I have. It's not like I have Pavel Francouz, and I'm like, no, you sit. Miska, you play. Francouz, you go sit up in the locker. Like, no, it's not the way it's working. So I don't blame him. But what Jared Bednar was saying there was, yeah, he's not an NHL goalie, but I don't have another option right now. I don't have a proven option. I don't have a Francouz or a, or a Jonathan Bernier sitting in my back pocket, and I'm refusing to play them for Miska. I just don't have another option. So... Joe Sackick is going out. He is he is searching the market. Uh, Anton Forsberg was placed on waivers uh, on Tuesday before the game. So during the game, in my head, I'm like, what are the chances he falls that low down the waiver? Well, the Ottawa Senators picked him up. They had like third dibs on him. The Avalanche have like 23rd dibs. So it didn't get that far up the waiver chain. Uh, but the Avs are, Pierre Lebrun mentioned two names. The first one is one that I've mentioned, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue to say Jonathan Bernier. The other option he mentioned was kind of a, uh, this would be a potential fit for him. And you're not going to like this name. Colorado's not going to like this name. Hell, I don't even like this name, but I, I, I love madness. And this is kind of the kind of play that is madness. And that's Devin Dubnik. Um, he's a goalie. He's a guy. Why the hell not? If you can't bring in Bernier or if the Red Wings are trying to get a first rounder, I am completely fine with pretending to like Devin Dubnik for five games or six games that he's going to play rather than having to deal with what we saw yesterday again. I think it'd be fun. You know, 
you say I'm not going to like it, Colorado's not going to like it, you're not going to like it. I think the first person I think of who's not going to like it is Gabe Landeskog, right? I mean, yeah. You know how much they've gotten into. But then I, I look back at when I think it was Brad Stewart was brought over to the Avalanche, and yep. Gabe Landeskog tweeted, hey, like, no hitting in practice, my man, and then yeah. showed a video of him getting crushed by Brad Stewart. So, you know, he's willing Stewart to bury the refrigerator. Yeah, he's willing to bury <laughs> the hatchet um, for a new teammate. But I mean, all hockey players do it. Sure. But what, what worries me about Devin Dubnik is, yeah, he's proven to be a pretty good goalie, but only in his time in Minnesota. I mean, when he's been in San Jose, he hasn't been very good. I mean, he almost played himself out of the league with Edmonton and Arizona before that. So I think you got to just kind of take it for what it is, that, that time that he spent in Minnesota versus the rest of his career. Absolutely. Uh, he's also, this is a very small sample size. He's 2-1 and one in his last three with a 950 save percentage. So that's nice, especially on a bad team like San Jose. Um, but let me ask you this. When the Avalanche acquired Michael Hutchinson, were you expecting him to win two playoff games? No, you weren't expecting him to even touch the playoffs. Exactly. But he's a guy and he got the job done. Devin Dubnik, I want to say, is a little bit of a level above just being a guy. Mm -hmm. Especially so, when you think salary cap-wise. Yeah. I mean, let's let's put it this way. Devin Dubnik, Craig Anderson, Jimmy Howard. October 1st, who would you have had joined this team? And by October 1st, I mean January 13th, whatever the hell the season started. Yeah, if you had to pick, I think you go Devin Dubnik, right? Yeah. Salary aside, personality aside, hating the dude aside, his punchable face aside, <laughs> who would you go between Howard, Craig Anderson, and him? Is him. Well, now you look at Craig Anderson. He's playing in – well, he was playing in Washington. He, now he's on their taxi squad and in the minors. Uh, and Jimmy Howard, who retired, both of them had terrible seasons last year. They were both 870, 880 goalies, and I was harping the Jimmy Howard drum just to have a guy that isn't Hunter Miska because Hunter Miska can't go on. And, and Devin Dupnik provides you a level above that. So why not? If Jonathan Bernier and the Red Wings have a right to ask for a lot for him is going to cost you a lot and you don't want to pay that a lot, but you can get, you don't want to pay that a lot, but Devin Dubnik can be had for a low draft pick or a prospect that you just don't really care about. Why not? Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, back in January, it was blatantly obvious to me that Hunter Miska was, was not the guy. And so I would like to think that the higher the powers that be within the Avalanche also saw the same thing. But you also have to keep in mind who Joe Sackick is as a person, right? I mean, we've always heard as a Patient. player, you know, he's playoff Joe, right? He 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 just wants to get to the playoffs. Wake me up when the playoffs start. So I feel like maybe he's got kind of that mentality going right now, and that's why we haven't seen him make a transaction just yet. Because, you know, you look at the analytics – the Avs are definitely on the path to the playoffs, so I don't think he's panicking just yet. Um, and, you know, I just envision him sitting back in his throne, sipping some whiskey and laughing at everybody freaking out about this because he's like, guys, I got this under control. We're nowhere near a tough spot. And that reminds me of uh, just this past week on the, the hockey show with Ryan Bolding and myself. We had Kyle Quincy as a guest, and, you know, I kind of asked him the same question. I said, I know it's not time to hit the panic button yet, but when is the time to hit the panic button? And he answered immediately there is never a time to hit the panic button and you know as a guy from a coming from a guy that played with Dotsuk and Zetterberg you know he knows what winning looks like and he even said there were times with those teams where we were questioning how good we are but you just got to stick with the grind and it they had it, a 10 game losing streak in the 08 exactly, year they won the cup exactly I think he brought that up too so he's just said it's such a long grind that it's, there's never a time to hit the panic button there's always opportunities to kind of redeem yourself so I think I I, I you know took that for what he said and just it, it really resonated with me yeah absolutely and and these are these are the ebbs and flows of a season uh but with joe sakic you're not gonna have that move that's gonna come it's it's never happens when you think it's gonna happen with him because he is patient he doesn't react to what fans or or people like you and me are sitting here complaining about he does what's right in his head i mean the matt duchene trade took 16 months to consummate the Avalanche are going to reap the rewards of that trade for 16 years, if not more. Yeah. Like, that's what it took, you know, July of one year to November of the next year. That's how long that trade took to come to fruition. And and now we have this 19-year-old kid, uh, Sam Gerrard, who's who's a beast, and, and all the other parts that they got, all the other little parts they got for Matt Duchesne. Um, 
and somehow screwed Nashville twice, both with the Kyle Turris acquisition and then them going out and acquiring Matt Duchesne in free agency. It's it's really funny. But that's the kind of guy Joe Sackick is. He's not going to rush into things like that. Um, and I don't think he's going to rush into this. If that means, again, I just, I feel like now we're at a point, and I'll say it again, Hunter Miska can't go on. We're at a point with Hunter Miska where you can't play him again. But you give Adam Werner a game. You give Peyton Jones a game. You give J.J. Jerez a game. You give anybody <laughs> a game but Hunter Miska until you acquire the guy that's right for you. And I th- I just think that's going to be the thing that happens. I just cannot see, again, considering Pavel Francouz is likely not coming back anytime soon. And we said this last time, the goalie Sackick acquires is going to tell us all we need to know about Pavel and his injury. But the Avalanche cannot go into the playoffs with Francouz, Maybe, maybe not. Uh, sorry, Grubauer. Maybe, maybe not. Francouz, and then these three AHL guys. Someone is going to be here before April twelfth. Uh, I'm willing to bet a lot of money on it. I'm not going to because Sakic might laugh in my face later. But it's just the reality: is the Avalanche need a goalie? Joe Sakic is looking for a goalie, and and something will happen between now and the trade deadline. It makes me think about Adam Werner. What's the hesitance to use him? I mean, we've I don't seen. Know how Miska just isn't the guy you should at least had because I mean they did give Adam Warner an opportunity for about five minutes and then went back to having Hunter Miska he had that yeah he had that shutout if you want to call it a shutout because he came in 30 seconds into the game so it was a 59 and a half minute long shutout and then the next day Connor McDavid put up six points on him by the (laughs) by early in the second period and we just haven't seen him since uh he is playing a lot more in the AHL. There was, you know, Bedner mentioned there was a little time period where he hadn't played a lot of games, and uh, now he is. So maybe he gets a shot. Again, maybe Peyton Jones gets a shot, but you cannot turn back to Hunter Miska. There is being patient to acquire the right goalie, and then there is being stubborn and playing Miska again when you know that these other two guys, it can't get any worse. It can't get any worse than three goals on, three saves, I should say, on seven shots. It can't get any worse than letting up two goals late in the game twice. Once to Arizona and once, I think, to L.A. or Anaheim. I don't know. The games are all jumbled together now. It can't get any worse than what Hunter Miska is doing. Hunter Miska can't go on. You play Peyton Jones. You play Adam Werner. You play one of these guys until you're ready to go out and acquire a goaltender. And then you bring somebody in, and that's that. Yeah, I think the main reason he can't go on is because the mental side of it, what we we keep mentioning that heart that's broken and Hunter misses game I feel like that's one of the quote-unquote injuries that takes the longest to recover from because regaining that confidence and unbreaking yourself I think is just one of the hardest things to do as a goaltender way harder than nursing a groin or hamstring or what have you yeah and just just ask Devin Dubnik about that because he was supposed to be the next big thing for the Edmonton Oilers and then he got traded he went to Montreal Arizona Nashville couldn't really figure it out and then he got to Minnesota he got his shit together he was there for six years played a lot of games won a lot of games but it took him a long time to get to that point and it's it was between the ears he was the same player in Edmonton that he was in Minnesota except he had confidence I mean, we saw a lot of players doing that in their time with the Oilers. Justin Schultz is another example. Uh, but that is the, the the biggest thing to overcome more than an injury is because you just don't, you you can't regain confidence overnight. You have to work on it. And for someone like Miska, even when he does, he's not going to be that good. He'll be a guy, but to, to work on someone and develop somebody's confidence and their trust and, and your trust in them just for them to be a goalie, it's not something you have the time to do, not in a 56-game season where you play every other night. Yeah, and on the topic of confidence, um, you know, how good does Philip Grubauer have to be feeling how right now? How good I mean, is he? Comes in cold and just, you know, makes it obvious who's the number one guy. I mean, what he's doing this season is unreal. Definitely deserving of the NHL's number one star of the week, I think. Philip Grubauer, Grubauer, Grubauer wore the crown Tuesday as the savior. Those were the words I used in my story last night. I don't know where I came up with that. But he saved the day. He came in and he said, don't worry, little brother. I will take this. And that's what he did. Ho-hum, 15 saves. He has some pretty good saves, too. There was a lot of opportunities in there that should have been goals. And he sat back, made those 15 saves, and the avalanche said, finally, we can trust the guy back there and scored six more goals. Right, and I think that was the biggest factor is the Avs were kind of gripping their gripping their sticks too tight trying to defend Miska because you even saw Don Skoy diving at pucks. You saw Landeskog diving at 
pucks, and I felt like that created a bit of chaos within the defensive zone. Once you get Grubauer the defensive structure in, there, in you general. Yeah, they settle down. They feel a lot more comf- comfortable and a lot more confident. You you pointed out at the beginning of the show that the offense was looking good from the get-go. All they needed was a little bit of backing, and they got it, and then you saw that offense explode. Exactly, and and that was the, the coolest thing for me was seeing that even when Miska was there and even when they were a little bit, you know, a little hesitant and gripping the sticks a little too tight defensively, they were still going. It looked like every yeah. time the Avalanche were going to mm-hmm. go down, to the offensive zone, they were going to score because of a nice play. And then every time Anaheim went, they were going to score because Misko was in net. And that's how the first period went. And it ended 4-2. to two. I thought that 4-2 goal was going to be some sort of a nail in the coffin, but they fought back. They tied it. They scored four goals in the third. So they're lucky to come away with a win there. But that's not going to happen every time. But at the same time, let's go back to what we were saying. Philip Grubauer looks awesome. He looks calm. He looks cool. He's got confidence. He's laid back. Even his personality and his demeanor on these calls compared to last year, compared to in the locker room, he's just chilling. He looks like a guy full of confidence, business as usual. I'm going to go out, make 25 saves on 26 shots, if not all 26 saves on 26 shots. I'm going to go out on my night off. Go go out on my night off, mess. clean up a mess, and... and sit in front of you guys and say, yeah, I, I, I did it. I, I want us another game. He's got 16 wins. He's second in the NHL behind Vasilevsky. He has a one, I want to say 185 goals against average. Uh, he has a 920 something save percentage. Look at me killing time as I look this up on Google. And here's his stats. He's got a 185 goals against average and a 925 save percentage. And he's 16 and seven in 23 games. Just to let you know, the last two seasons, the Avalanche have made the playoffs, and Grubauer has kind of ran them through the the first round of the playoffs. He had 18 wins in 2019. He had 18 wins in 2020. He's already got 16 in a shortened season in a lot less games. 925 safe percentage, four shutouts. These are Vezina Trophy candidate-worthy numbers. And right now, if you ask me, it's Fleury, it's Vasilevsky, and it's him. Capo Kakinen, who the Avalanche are going to see in a couple days, once has won nine straight games. He's in that conversation too. But Grubauer is doing everything you want of a number one goalie. And the biggest thing that Grubauer has done this year, not that I matter, but I am in the media and I am going to be here for a really long time. Last summer, after even before the bubble, when it was the summer, and last fall after the season ended, Philip Grubauer to me wasn't somebody that you break the bank for. He was Freddie Anderson in Toronto, just another interchangeable goalie. He was Semyon Varlamov before he left for the Islanders. He's another good interchangeable goalie that you sign and you keep until you can afford him, and then you go on to the next guy. In my opinion, he's no longer that. He's he's Jordan Binnington to the Blues. Whether you like that guy or not, he's their guy. Grubauer is this team's guy. And he's well, that- earned another contract extension yeah that was exactly gonna be my question is you know where does that take us to re-signing him and um you know i think it was a bit of a question mark to start the season but now he's earned his spot right he's earned a stay here and i think the avalanche have made the mistakes in the past with letting certain goalies go here and there so you gotta you gotta keep a guy that's done right to you and do right by him if there's anything that the the stagnant salary cap has done is it's obviously lowered the amount of money that teams or players can can request from teams. Philip Grubauer's last contract was a ten million over three years. He made three point three per season with the Avs. Uh, this year, that's going to change. So the cool thing about his his salary, for whatever reason, and I think this was a good thing for him to do, not knowing a pandemic was going to change the world, but he made 3.3 in the first year of his deal, 3.9 in the second, and this third year of the deal was only 2.75. Considering where where the NHL is going in terms of just you know the two-goalie unit that teams deploy now, considering the flat cap and just looking at other contracts, Markstrom got $6 million, uh, Jordan Bennington got six and a half, I want to say. Semyon Varlamov got that five, the four years, five million a year. If you're Philip Grubauer, if he wins the Stanley Cup this year, he gets six, six and a half. If he doesn't, five and a half is probably a very reasonable number. It's only two million more than where he is now. It's not a big number. Semyon Varlamov to me deserves the, you know, the Tyson Berry deal, a four year, $22 million deal. 
And by Semyon Varlamov, I mean the guy that plays goalie in Denver, Philip Grubauer. He deserves a four-year, $22 <laughs> million dollar deal. Yeah, it's a little late in the day. Uh, he's someone that you have to keep. He's their guy. I'm not saying go out and give him Vasilevsky money and Carey Price money and Bobrovsky money. But that 5 to $6 million window of a goalie where some teams can do it, some teams can't, he's earned the right to be a goalie that should be making 5 or $6 million like Jacob Markstrom, like Jordan Binnington, who's won a Stanley Cup. Should be an easy sell, too. I feel I get the vibe. Oh, he loves this team. Grubauer loves it here. He yeah. loves it here. I mean, all these guys do, and that's that's the beauty of having a winning team for now. I remember the joke for the longest time, and I'm going to dig deep into the avalanche memories for this one. Maybe you'll get it. Maybe you won't. There was a summer where Matt Karkner of the Ottawa Senators was a free agent. He was a uh, rough-and-tumble defenseman that also played left wing on the fourth line because he was one of those guys. Just wasn't good at anything, but he was a big, feisty dude. Matt Karkner, there was a tweet, and it was you know maybe five, six, seven years ago. He signed a two-year contract with the Colorado Avalanche. And then minutes later, it was psych. Matt Karkner signed with the Islanders. Kind of like, remember the Jerome McGinley trade where he was traded to Boston and then he was traded to Pittsburgh? It was the same idea. The only difference is, for all we know, Karkner probably never signed with the Avalanche. He maybe never even got to that point. But the joke became... Even Matt Karkner left the, you know, didn't choose the Avalanche, left Ottawa, and went to the Islanders instead. We, they were the laughing stock. Nobody wants to come to Denver. This team sucks. They go out and trade for guys like Ryan O'Byrne and Shane O'Brien because nobody else wants to be here. No disrespect to those two dudes. Um, None at all. I used to drink with no, Obes. He was a fun guy. Obes, yeah, that guy's hilarious. You ever heard his podcast? Yeah, I he's, he's a funny. He's a funny guy. But the point is, the Avalanche are now a team where people want to be here. Someone like Brandon Saad is going to talk to his agent and say, find a way to keep me here. If they can't afford me, how low are they willing to, you know, how high are they willing to go? Uh, is it going to be, you know, except like a $2 million deal where it's like, okay, relax. I'm not that desperate to stay here. Or is it going to be something where I'm willing to give up a couple million, couple hundred thousand to stay here? That's the team the Avalanche have become. Philip Grubauer loves it here. I'm sure he's going to stick around. Just like guys like Landis Gog, who if, if Gabe was on a team like Buffalo, yeah, you're going to give me eight or nine million because I hate it. I hate losing, but Gabe's on a winning team. He loves what he's got going here. He's got a family here. He's got two kids here. Okay, sure. I'll take a bit of a a, a pay increase from what my last contract was, but not much of one. I'm not going to ask for seven or eight million. I'll take six, for example. So yeah, I think Grubauer loves it here, and I think he's going to stick here. That was my long-winded way of saying yes. I think he's going to stick. Yeah, I tend to do that a lot. So. <laughs> I'm used to it by now. Um, but, yeah, so what do you want to get to next? I mean, we could look at, at the uh, upcoming series here against Minnesota. I think it's a big one, um, kind of like you wrote here in the notes. It's another litmus test, I think, right? I mean, we really got to see where, how far this team has come since that last Minnesota game. Obviously, it's, it's going to be a completely different story, I think, because the lineup is a completely different story. But, you know, it, this is going to be more of a challenge than your L.A. and Arizona and Anaheim. The lineup is going to be a different story, and someone like Bowen Byram might be reinserted into the lineup. And And I have to say, the top four defense that we always talk about is that Taves, Makar, Byram, and Gerard pair, uh, or foursome. But the top four they have right now, I have to give massive shout-outs, not just to Ryan Graves, who had a terrible start to his season and now looks pretty good again, but to Jacob McDonald for holding the four as that number four guy. They all look really, really well. You add Bowen Byram to that. Eventually, Makar, maybe Eric Johnson down the line. Just like the forwards with Logan O'Connor and JT Comfer and Pierre-Edouard Belmar. It's a good problem to have. You don't know who to sit because everybody's playing well. So that's kind of where the Avalanche are going to be with their D. But Minnesota is going to be a litmus test. Like I said, their goalie, Kapo Kakinen, has won nine straight games. Kirill Kaprizov is a hell of a lot of fun. The Wild are fun to watch for once. Ian Cole got traded to the Wild, and we thought, ha, poor guy. He just left a Stanley Cup contender and is going to a team that's going to miss the playoffs. But no, actually, Minnesota is ahead of the Avalanche in the standings right now. This is going to be a very crucial uh, four-point game twice. So you're looking at an eight-point series here. You can go up by four. You can go down by four, assuming you win both or lose both. Or you can split the series, which hopefully that's not the case. Uh, But it's a big test for the Avalanche. Considering the way they played these last few games, uh, the series against LA, the way they played against Arizona, just out shooting the living daylights out of teams and really playing good, consistent hockey, uh, 
it's the perfect time to play Minnesota. It wasn't the perfect time to play Vegas, their last litmus test, because it was coming out of COVID protocol and uh, not really having played in a while and thrown to the Wolves and saying, go play Vegas four times. Well, now they're buzzing. Everything looks good. Minnesota, too, as well looks good. These two games are going to be a lot of fun. Both teams are buzzing. They're killing it. It's going to be so much fun at Ball Arena for these next two. I just think, uh, you know, thinking back to the last time they played Minnesota, I always bring it up. That was the one game I've covered so far this season since yeah. there's only been one of us allowed. Not, not going to let you back in the game. <laughs> yeah, it was a 2-6 to six loss, but, uh, you know, the, the Wild kind of tacked on some goals there late, a couple empty yeah. netters. It was really a closer game than that. But what I remember vividly was the Avalanche came out and they were winning that first period. And it was kind of a similar situation as when Miska was in net the other night where it just seemed like every decent chance Minnesota got they were scoring on where you saw Kadri hit the post in the first period you saw a couple other great chances in the first period that just never came to fruition so now that they're a little bit revamped they're a little bit more strengthened um, and the way like you're saying the way they've been out shooting teams lately I think as long as they just stick to that it should be a piece of cake, in my opinion. I mean, I think you're really going to – I know Minnesota's been playing well, but I think Avalanche should be able to, to make a statement here and say, hey, look, we've been struggling these last weeks. We know it, but now we're feeling good. Now we're feeling back to normal. And and that's that's what you would expect from this team because they are a better team than Minnesota. They're a better mm-hmm. team on paper. Minnesota's one of those, you know – pleasant surprise really good story teams were kind of like vancouver last year where it's like i mean they're not really gonna win the cup but they're good it's fun to watch and that's kind of where they are it's 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 the avalanche in 2010 or even 2014 hell when they won a bunch of games they're not really gonna win the cup but they look good and that's kind of where they are but the avalanche are a cup contending team the avalanche can't struggle with the teams like minnesota the Vegases, the Tampas, uh, dare I say, the Torontos, the Bostons, these are the teams you should be focusing on. Granted, you're only playing Vegas from that group in the regular season and through the first two rounds of the playoffs, maybe. But you absolutely should win these next two games. And then you have two on the road in Arizona. You have four games in front of you where, like Vegas, every single day Vegas goes into the games that they should win and wins. And that's kind of where the Avalanche are now, and that's how it should be. Going into that game yesterday, I felt going into it, and I don't play for the Avalanche. I cover the Avalanche. And I felt going into that game that they're going to win. I felt going into that LA game on Sunday that they're going to win, and they did exactly that both times. That's the mentality they've developed because of this consistent play. Right. I mean, every single podcast we've been on so far this season, we said the Avalanche should go into these next two games and win. But I don't think we were confidently saying that. This, honestly, for the first time all year, I'm confidently saying they should be able to win these two games because I think just the way they're playing right now is is extremely positive. And, um, you know, I think they're just feeling themselves right now and it's just going in the right direction. And now you start inserting guys like Byram in the lineup, eventually Comfer, eventually Kale McCarr. I mean, I, I think I think now is the time that the Avalanche are going to perform the way we expected them to. Bernier. The way that way that we expected them to the, the first two months. I think from here on out is the Avalanche we were expecting all year. Yeah, and and it feels that this way. is it. It does. It feels that way to me as well, and and that's just the way it is. Um, it took them a little while to get here, and maybe that COVID pause put a little hiccup in a little bit of the. The, the this the good feeling and good play they were you know having before then but even then when they were going six one and one of those eight games before the their covid pause this season uh they were still inconsistent they had good periods they had bad periods against anaheim they had three really good periods they had a bad 45 seconds where they gave up two shorthanded breakaways and it led to a penalty shot but that's probably the only goal miska should have let in so They've been playing really well. That LA game on Sunday, while the rest of Colorado was snowed in, they were pretty much dominating the LA Kings. Uh, They beat them the day before that. They beat Arizona. They look really good. And like you, I confidently can say, going into a two-game series, even though it's not San Jose or LA or Anaheim or Arizona, it's one of the three teams that we expect to make the playoffs with the Avalanche. They should win these next two games. If they don't, they don't. But... It's a matter of how they play and trusting that process. Right now, the, the you know, like we said, it's just getting to the dance, but getting to the dance playing good hockey. You can't get there playing bad hockey or getting lucky with your wins. Play good hockey, get to the dance, and then heat up at the right time. And that's kind of where they are now. We're only halfway through the season. 
Yeah, I'm with you. I'm feeling good about it. You mentioned Eric Johnson earlier. Honestly, he's just been outside my mind. Like I haven't, I haven't. You don't even, even remember him I anymore f- from I how good they are. Him. Exactly. Yeah. That's just remember. Remember Milan Hayduke's last couple years where he kind of withered away slowly. That's where you are with Eric Johnson. He's a lot younger than Hayduke was at that time, but it's partly his injury history. It's partly the hard miles on his body, and it's largely because the Avalanche drafted two guys at fourth overall laughed in Nashville and and Ottawa's face to get Sam Girard and then traded a couple of second round draft picks for Devon Taves, who's a number one defenseman on half the NHL teams. Right. They're right. loaded. So and f- and we're talking about Jacob McDonald coming in and playing well and Ryan Graves playing well. Those are six guys. Yeah. So feeling good. Feeling good about what's ahead and hopefully the abs are too. I, I gotta feel like they are. So um that's all we really have on the docket. You want to get to the Mile High Sports three stars of the week or anything else you want to touch on before we wrap this sucker up? Let's wrap this sucker up and let's uh prepare for some fun hockey tomorrow and Sunday. Absolutely. So Saturday. Let's get to it. Mile High Sports three stars of the week presented by a star number three. We're going to Logan O'Connor. Like you mentioned before, he stepped in and he's really made himself a, a good piece of the puzzle. I mean, he's not just a guy that's filling a role. He's a guy that's suddenly making it hard on you to make a decision when JT Comfort comes back. So shout out to Logan O'Connor. I love the energy and, and just the motor he's got, and um, he's been playing great. Yeah, and Logan O'Connor and his game and the way he's playing is exactly why it'll be easy to let Pierre-Edouard Belmar go this summer. You don't need to re-sign him because you need a fourth-line centerman. You have that in Logan O'Connor. And it's such a small, measly thing to think about, the fourth-line center, but... It is a big part of your team because every player on this is, you know, we're not in the NHL where your fourth line plays three minutes anymore. We're in the NHL where all 12 of your guys need to be clicking all at all times, like we discussed earlier in this in this recording. And that's what Logan O'Connor, O'Connor provides the avalanche. And, and it's a good problem to have. And, you know, he's he's gets better by the game, by the year. And shout out to him. He deserves third star. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets that first star in the future. Now with Bellomare, he if and when he does move on from the Avalanche this summer, do you see him landing another NHL job? Depends on the rest on how the rest of his season goes. Because he's not scoring anymore. He's got two empty net goals. That's pretty much all he's got. But if he's a piece of the puzzle, kind of like if you think back to Washington with Jay Beagle, if he's a piece of the puzzle where he's going to earn a contract playing on a cup-winning team or a cup-contending team and really make a difference in the playoffs then he'll earn another contract. But that's when it's going to matter for him in the playoffs. It just seems like every year the Avs have at least one guy who plays himself out of the NHL. He's he's at the end of his career. I think Johnny Mitchell. I think Sven Andragetto, most yeah. recently with Mark Barbario, right? Yeah. They just couldn't find another NHL job and went right to Europe. We'll see. So. We'll see. We'll see yeah, how I it goes for him. He's, I wouldn't he had, be surprised if that's how Him and Calvert are the only two that really haven't picked up their game offensively, along with Tyson Jost. Um but they're all doing good things and, and bringing good things to the team. It's just a matter of how good is what BR, Pierre Edward Balmar is bringing that's going to matter. I mean, I will say this, and this is the way the NHL works. If the Avalanche win the Cup, Belmar will land a contract somewhere. Yeah. I Very rarely do you see a team that wins a Cup where one of their main 18 guys that plays on the roster, assuming he doesn't lose his spot to Comfort and O'Connor, very rarely do you see one of those guys get kicked out of the NHL. They either retire or they get a contract somewhere. Even if it's a one year at one and a half million, he'll get something, but we'll see. That's quite the if. Um, That brings us to star number two. We're going to Miko Rantanen, like you said on the top of the show. He's just scoring. He's getting assists. He's scoring goals. You know, he's throwing everything at the net right now, and it's going in for him. I I, I like to describe his game as chaotically graceful, right? It looks like he's just kind of everywhere, but then you see him accomplish the goal he set out to accomplish so it ends up working so yeah and like he said i meant to do that both times yeah (laughs) and uh also kind of as you pointed out earlier in the show he sacrificed those empty net goals for his friend and teammate nathan mckinnon right i mean what a leadership move and what a what a bro move yeah and and the cool thing about nathan about miko rantanen is he gave up at least one of those empty netters but let's say he took both of them he would have 16 goals 16 goals in 27 games is a 48-goal pace. Even without them, he's on pace for, in an 82-game season, assuming he plays all 82 games, he's on pace for 42 goals. He's never hit 40 goals before. He didn't have a good season last year. He had injuries. He wasn't even a point per game. He came out flying in the playoffs. 
Shout out to Miko Rantanen. He deserves star number two because I think he's going to score 30 goals this year. He's already at 14 and, and the Avalanche are about ready to play their halfway point game. Plus, he's obviously a cool bro. Star <laughs> number one. This is easy. Yeah, I'm sure everybody could guess this. It's Philip Grubauer for putting his Superman cape on and saving that game last night against the Ducks and just being the all-star that he's been this season. I mean, this isn't the first time we've pumped his tires. A couple months ago, maybe weeks ago, I asked you who the MVP of this team was, and you immediately answered Philip Grubauer. There was no argument there from either of us. So Grubauer's just been amazing. Uh, it's great to see what, what he's done. I think I'm with you. I never thought of the Vesna candidacy um, until tonight, but I think he definitely deserves to at least be a candidate. Um, so, yeah, shout out to Philip Grubauer. Keep doing what you're doing. There's there's not much else I can say about him that we haven't already discussed, but, I mean, if this continues and he, knock on wood, stays healthy, uh, it's going to be hard to beat the Avalanche this year. This is why I hate not being in the locker room. Every year I love to talk to the goalies about their equipment, <laughs> and I'm curious why he's still sticking with CCM pads when he's always been a Lefebvre guy, and Lefebvre is the guy that's making true pads right now that you're seeing across the NHL. Carey Price, I mean, I'm seeing Mike Smith wearing them right now. You know, Everybody's wearing the true pads. I wish I could ask him why he's not wearing them. Well, too. like you, goalies are wackos, and uh, the last <laughs> thing he's going to do is change his pads mid-season when he's playing the way he's playing well he could have changed them in the offseason well, yeah but saying. he didn't and now he's playing great so well hopefully we can get back in that locker room and i can ask him Soon. face to face because i'm not going to waste that on a zoom call people would yell at me and then i'll get the hate on reddit <laughs> like mike did but uh, other than that don't hate on us on reddit love on us on reddit you know i think the reddit people are usually pretty good to us so hi reddit people thanks for hanging out with us um you know i don't really have much else to say as you could tell as i'm just rambling and winding down here anything you want to get out before we head out of here that's basically it keep the keep the twitter engagement coming i love talking to you guys on game days i wish you guys were also there at ball arena hopefully fingers crossed soon but that's all i got keep on keeping on if you made it this far in the podcast bless your heart Thanks so much for hanging out with us. Hockey's for everyone, and we out you.